All right, welcome to episode 42 of the At-Bat Baseball Podcast, presented by War Media, where we give you our thoughts on the latest Chicago baseball news, as well as take a trip around the league. I am Saul Rodriguez, along with my war colleague, Chris Pennant, who you can see on the Skyhook Podcast with James K. And uh, Chris, how you doing today, man? You see, I'm in this beautiful YouTube recording space. No, I'm lying. This is my partner's <laughs> room. She was gracious enough to let me record in here. And so I might have to get uh, some more photo- photographs when we record at my place because I realize how badly this is blowing my spot out of the water. <laughs> hey, hey, like I said, like, you know, uh, I think we, I said before we came on uh, to talk to our guests here, uh, I was like, hey, at least you have a background. Mine's just blurry. There's like doors back here uh, that, you know, that I guess you could kind of make it out to be doors. But yeah, there's not much. I need I need something. I need a background, man. That's what I thought about. But we'll, we'll that's something we'll figure out some other day. But uh, we have a great episode. It's another great interview episode. We have uh, ESPN's June Lee. Uh, we had a great talk with him. I think we got into way more than I expected, which is pretty cool. I mean, we talked to him. You know, he was uh, as his Twitter bio says he was bred in Boston. Uh, so we got to talk a lot of Boston uh, sports and uh, a lot of uh, situations like Tristan Casa situation, uh, as well as just growing up in Boston and seeing those championships. So that was pretty cool. What would you think about the interview, though, Chris? I loved it, man. June is a heck of a character. Uh, wow, that's that was you know that must be on a baseball podcast. That was a baseball sentence right there. <laughs> um, <laughs> really interesting, uh, really interesting dude. I think one of the first people that's a Boston sports fan that I felt uh, that connection to when we were talking about. Uh, what it's like growing up as a sports fan and that existential dread that happens after you turn a certain age and you just can't pull statistics out of the air like you could when you were nine and 10 years old. So loved having him on the show. Uh, Hope to have him on again soon. Yeah, of course. Uh, I know we had some technical difficulties, but we pushed through it, made it through, and we're able to close out the interview. But uh, without further ado, here is the interview with ESPN's June Lee. All right, welcome to the interview portion of the pod. Today, we're excited to be joined by ESPN staff writer June Lee. Thanks for joining us, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. And uh, we'll get right into it, man. We just want to know kind of a little bit of your background when it comes to baseball. Like, how did you fall in love with baseball? And and kind of how did you get into the game this way that you are now with uh, ESPN and all that? Sure. Yeah. So I, I moved to the United States when I was two months old and we moved to the Boston area. My dad was uh, doing his PhD at Boston University. And uh, I kind of grew up in the time that breathed the most obnoxious generation of sports fans ever, you know, <laughs> Boston from the two thousands, you know, to, through the 2010s as, oh, uh, you know, gosh. a Red Sox fan, a Patriots fan, a Celtics fan, a Bruins fan uh, was uh, very, very spoiled and seeing. And I think when you grew up in the Boston area, especially during that time period, it was impossible to not become an enormous sports fan. And I think that when I realized that I probably didn't have what it takes took to to be a professional athlete i figured that uh, trying to be around sports in any way possible was uh the next best thing and uh for me that path was uh was journalism and, and media and uh you know i was reading boston globe and boston herald and watching uh so much sports tv espn you know nested the local stuff all the time and so uh for me that was kind of the the gateway to doing all of this Really cool, man. I, I know how you feel. I had that realization that I was not good. My, I remember thinking when I was a kid all the way up until freshman year of high school that I was going to replace Frank Thomas in the White Sox lineup. And then, <laughs> uh, when I realized that I was not good enough to do that, I had the same thing. I, I went towards journalism. It's like I wanted to be involved, but I knew it wasn't going to be on the field. <laughs> 
Yeah, that happens. I mean, for me, I, I stopped growing after eighth grade. And so I was just like five, seven through all of high school. And I was hopeful that I would maybe get up to six foot. And I played baseball through the end of high school. Uh, but uh, some injuries and also just like me starting to find uh, passions and other things other than playing baseball on the field, I think kind of led me down this path. No, yeah, I, I'm I'm the same way. Like I I know I I couldn't hit the machine for baseball for like the like I went in sophomore year. I was like I'm gonna try out for baseball. This is not too hard, right? Try to hit the machine. I I couldn't even hit the machine. So, uh, <laughs> that's where's where my baseball career ended. Uh, but uh, you got uh, you go ahead, Chris. You got anything for? Him? I was gonna ask from that era when you were when you were coming up because it's the most crystalline era of being a sports fan is between like age eight and eighteen before you have to start paying bills and filing taxes. <laughs> What was your favorite moment um, of of all four sports uh, that it you can really, think of? It really is crazy how much like existential dread starts to seep in after you turn eighteen. That you can't seriously direct, <laughs> you can't direct that energy towards following sports in the same way as you did as a kid growing up. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a couple of moments. I mean, I think that 2003 Aaron Boone uh, that home run. I think crystallized the heartbreak of being a sports fan in kind of the most uh potent way possible because i was in third grade and so like for me that was the first time i'd ever gotten invested in any sports team and for the season to end the way that it did uh yeah. especially just given the context of the chris Demet, the bambino bambino at the time it was just a lot to handle as a third grader and then i think <laughs> winning the world series the next year uh, in 2004, I think kind of you kind of saw the the lowest of lows and the highest of highs and everything in between. And so I think that that was a really big moment for me. I think that uh, the Patriots undefeated regular season uh, in 07, 08, that was a really big moment for me. Um, you know, when uh, Paul Pierce, KG and Ray Allen came together, that was an enormous moment for me. I think just like the first championships for that I saw of all of my favorite teams growing up, uh, I think were kind of enormous moments. And I think that like going to doing, seeing all that and then going to games. And um, I think for me, uh, I think the most unique experience I was able to have was I, I started interning at the Boston Herald when I was uh, 16 years old. And I, I my, the first time I actually got into, uh, got to go into a baseball clubhouse. I think I was 17 uh, going into my senior year of high school, maybe. And uh, I, remember walking in there and David Ortiz, who was my, one of my biggest childhood heroes was the first person I remember seeing kind of walk through the hallway. He said hi to me and uh, Michael Silverman, who was the Herald writer who was kind of guiding me through the day at the time. And I remember almost just like passing out on the spot. And then I (laughs) go into the Red Sox clubhouse and it was like all of my childhood heroes. Plus like, uh, plus like the, you know, the athletes and all the writers who cover the team all in one room. And I just remember being like, as overstimulated as I've ever been in my life. I think I think as a kid, you just like read them in the newspaper or saw them on TV. And like, you didn't mm-hmm. actually like process the fact that these aren't like, you know, Marvel superheroes that aren't <laughs> real people, you know, like these people actually existed in the world that we all lived in. I think like <laughs> processing all that information at once uh, was a lot. And I think that uh, that ended up being an enormously transformational moment for me. And just seeing that, like, you know, the people that, not only do this stuff on the field, but also write about it and talk about it on TV. Like these are all real people with families and problems and all that stuff. And I think it made uh, the world feel much smaller to me in a way that was enormously important as uh, a teenager. 
I know exactly what you mean. Uh, uh, Corey McFerrin that does the local sports or did the local sports on the Fox News in Chicago, his son went to my, my school. And so I think he came in when I was a senior. And so he showed up for Parents Day or something. And I saw him in the hallway. I wasn't trying to seek him out. I just saw him. And I was like, I've been watching, you know, it was my head exploded. I was like, I've been watching this dude on TV since I was a child. And I was like, I'm going to pick his brain and all this or, you know, but it was really weird just seeing him there because that day he was just a dad showing up to make sure that his son was passing like integrated science, you know, <laughs> so I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. No, I can't imagine, especially at 16. I mean, that's wild to even <laughs> comprehend. I mean, I had that moment in my 20s, but even in like just 16, I, I, I would I honestly, yeah, I'd probably pass out. Just I it. honestly don't know how I actually. Handled <laughs> it yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's impressive. Like, I, I don't know why they let me in, you know? Like, I, I don't know what my edit, like, my the editors at the Boston Herald did to, like, convince the Red Sox PR staff that letting a 17-year-old kid, 16-year-old kid into the clubhouse was a good idea, you know? And that I wouldn't, like, pass out and, like, ask everyone for autographs or pictures. Like, I don't know why they did that. Hey, you're grateful, I'm sure, then, but it's a... Yeah, that's awesome though. Uh, but we'll stick with, we'll stick with the Red Sox team here. You know, I saw you're pretty active on TikTok. You have just under eighteen thousand followers. I really liked your TikTok regarding the the Tristan Casas uh, situation, the Red Sox uh, young first baseman uh, who had a pregame routine that consisted of sunbathing, napping, and all that. Uh, but it caused a stir in the Red Sox clubhouse. And uh, in your TikTok, you know, you, you mentioned that uh, that's one of the reasons why, or that's it kind of plays into why baseball isn't as popular as it used to be. Can you kind of expand on that? Because I was kind of interested in hearing more about it. Yeah. So, I mean, Tristan Casas, for those who are listening who don't know, uh, you know, top prospect for the Red Sox this year, I think he's a top 30 guy in all of baseball. Mm -hmm. And um, he's kind of a quirky dude in like an interesting way that you don't often see in the sport and that he paints his nails. He uh, sunbathed before games because it was just him trying to get as much vitamin C as possible because he felt like that energized him. And he did that all throughout the minor leagues. And when he came up to the majors last year, there was a couple of veterans that were rubbed the wrong way about it because it's just like the optics are mm. kind of odd of seeing like a rookie in the outfield sunbathing before a game. Like that's just not what you normally see. Mm -hmm. uh, and so some people kind of took it the wrong way. You know, he's taking naps before games. Um, and so, which is actually not uncommon, but you mm -hmm. know, some people took it the wrong way. Uh, you know, some ballparks now actually have like entire bedrooms built down the back. So guys can sleep before games now. Um, and so, uh, you know, there was just like kind of some talk about him being a guy who uh, is not, the typical baseball player, but it's this kind of tension that the sport has constantly felt between you know, guys being allowed to be themselves versus trying to adapt to whatever the culture is. And I actually got to talk to Tristan at Red Sox camp, I think a couple of days after mm -hmm. I posted that TikTok. And I was just like, I asked him about like the him getting his nails painted because they were red when I when I saw him. And I've got a couple of buddies who are men and also paint their nails just kind of out of fun. Um, and so it's just something that I was kind of curious about. And uh, he just said like, yeah, I was just like, I'm in a place in my life where I'm trying to push myself outside of my comfort zone. And this is one of those things where it's just like, this is something I want to do. Like I got a pedicure with, you know, I think I think it was his mom and this was just something that I got. And uh I'm just trying to let go of what other people think of me right now, which I think is actually incredibly indicative of someone who has the chance to be very successful at the major league level, because yeah. so many of these young guys who make that transition from prospect to major leaguer, the difference 
in the attention that you get in the major leagues, the type of scrutiny from like just like people tweeting at you whenever you strike out or just people, you know, talking crap about you online or on sports radio or on TV, it really breaks down a lot of people if you aren't prepared to handle that kind of increased attention. And I think that the fact that he's proactively kind of thinking about these kinds of things as he heads into his first full major league season, I think is a really great sign. Uh, but it's also kind of the fact that there's kind of pushback to him, like trying to find his own way to be himself and feel comfortable in his own skin and kind of reject the the kind of negative energy or uh, attention that he he might get uh, just for by nature of putting yourself out there in public and putting your like successes and failures for everyone to see on a night to night basis. I think that that uh, is something that has actively held the sports culture back um, and is the reason why like you just don't see as big personalities in baseball, which is mm-hmm. something that is especially required now that social media is the way that you capture the attention of anyone under the age of 30 uh, if you're a sport. Yeah, and it's it's wild because I saw some of the headlines and they're like, you know, Tristan Casas like, you know, causes a stir in the Red Sox clubhouse and all that. And it's like you would think like you think he murdered like a dog, yeah, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I'm just like, you would think it'd be something like he was bothering someone, like he, I don't know. Well, and and no, it's just him like sunbathing, like doing stuff that's not necessarily hurting anybody or bothering anyone in any way. And like somebody's taking offense to that, but yeah, it's it's odd. But uh it's yeah, it's it's cool to see him doing something like that, something you know. That's like it's it's more common nowadays, but like in baseball, it's very uncommon. And like for me, I I watch a lot of hockey, and I mean, like barely anything happens there when it comes to culture because a lot of guys just feel like they can't do anything. And uh, so yeah, as much as it can leak into into you know into baseball is is, is a plus. But uh, go ahead, Chris. It's interesting. I think with um, the nails that that caused less of a stir. And I, I know that a lot of uh, catchers have shifted to using that on game day. Um, well, before uh, the before the microphone and the pitch calling from mm-hmm. the from the dugout, I know guys would paint their nails instead of putting tape on their fingers to show pitches. But yeah, I I agree with you there. I don't know what I want to know what you think if that if you see that kind of going away, especially with more players of uh, Latin American and some more like the uh, Japanese and Korean players who are not afraid to to show different things than what has been traditionally accepted as the American version of baseball. If you see that line either blurring or dissipating, or if you see um, a generation of guys, whether they're coming from the United States or anywhere else, who are really fighting harder to keep that uh, quote unquote correct way of doing things alive. It's really dependent on clubhouse to clubhouse. Cause I remember talking to guys for example, with the White Sox, where the White Sox are very open-minded in terms of just letting guys be themselves. And I think that it's a function of the leadership in every single clubhouse. Like, if you have guys who are veterans who are kind of less down with just kind of self-expression in this way and just letting guys um, express themselves in whatever way that makes them feel most comfortable when they come to work, uh, you're going to see kind of guys who are cracking down this similar to the Red Sox. But then there's other clubhouses where uh, you got you see guys who are just like kind of willing to be themselves from day one. And I think that it's kind of a back and forth because you see this tension between teams every once in a while. Like one of the guys I think who's very misunderstood across baseball uh, is Tim Anderson. And he's kind of in a situation where he's encouraged to be himself uh, in, in that locker room. Um, but when his kind of behavior on the field 
uh, rub someone the wrong way because he is in a kind of a different cultural context than like a more conservative clubhouse might be. Um, that's when you see kind of like the tensions kind of froth up. And so I think we're moving in a direction where there's going to be more and more self-expression. I think you see that just within the rules of the sport and equipment, whether that's the sneakers that guys wear or just the general like bath flipped personalities. I mean, there's definitely a, a ways to go, but I think one of the shifts that we're seeing is that baseball in general is moving um, more international in terms of MLB is specifically is glow, trying to grow more international in terms of its audience. I think the WBC is a huge example of that. And is as the the international audience becomes a bigger, more important part of the uh, the audience for Major League Baseball, both from like a financial standpoint, and from like a cultural standpoint, you're going to see the leeway for international guys to be themselves. I think grow because um, you know. MLB at, at a certain point is going to have audiences in like Japan and uh, you know, the Caribbean and all that other stuff to in Mexico to make happier. Um, and so if like a Mexican player, for example, is unhappy because of the culture of the sport, like there's going to be financial backlash to that too, in terms of how MLB feels it. And so I think that we're going to see more of that shift happen over the course of the next, uh, you know, decade or so, uh, especially because we're uh, seeing that, MLB, I mean, there's just a much, the, the U.S. is 300 plus million people. There's still way more people around the world than there are in the U.S. And so ultimately, I think that that is going to end up ruling out in terms of the direction that the sport ends up going because MLB is a business and they will go towards where the money is. And the money is much bigger internationally than it is when you just refine it to or uh, kind of stick it in with just with the United States. And so I think that is that is what's going to end up happening, but there's definitely going to be bumps in the road along the way. Yeah, no, you're and you're right in the WBC thing. It's like I, I'm watching that, and I'm just thinking to myself, like this, like there's no, like this is just a benefit in so many ways, especially to with baseball going in different places, like you know having all these players, you know, like Luis Robert and all them play, you know, in Taiwan, you know, have that Taiwan, you know, atmosphere. And we'll get into WBC in a little bit because it's. You know, something I wanted to ask you about, but uh, something else I wanted to ask you about was the pitch clock. Uh, I saw you recently tweeted. Uh, you said, "You said, quote, if the pitch clock was a person, I would give it the biggest hug humanly possible." So, is it as good? <laughs> is it as good as you thought it would be? Is it better? Uh, also, do do you think like the uproar about the game ending on, on it was kind of like what was in an overreaction? Because I, I thought it was. I thought it was because I'm like, well, it just started. It just like they're working out the kinks. Obviously, they're not going to have like a World Series game man, on this, at least as far as I, I'm assuming, right? But yeah, what did you what have you thought about it? So I far? love it. I mean, I think it's been even bigger than mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to have a huge impact, but the impact has been even bigger than I expected. I think that that the overreaction to a game ending that way, like they're just figuring things out right mm -hmm. now. Eventually, we're going to get to a point. There's going to be 162 games where they figure out the pacing of the pitch clock. Like guys are going to be able to train their internal clock to be like, okay you know, the, the, the amount of time the pitch clock is going to be kind of like ingrained into their brain. So they're going to know just from a rhythm standpoint, like how much time the pitcher has or how much time that they have to get into the box before an automatic striker ball is called. I mean, Jeff Passon, my colleague tweeted out today that the average time of game in sprint training last year versus this year, it's dropped by 25 minutes. Um, the runs per game are the same. The stolen bases per game are up. Uh, the batting average on balls and uh, on ground balls uh, is up from 235 to 258, and the strikeout rate is about the same. Um, there's been more singles, more stolen bases, more runs, and the game is 25 minutes faster. Like that's kind of all you can ask for mm -hmm. in terms of like 
making baseball as good a viewing experience, uh, especially on television, that it could possibly be. Because uh, just picking up the pace of the game, like when you watch a soccer game, you know that like you're you're carving out about like two, two and a half hours at the most. Like a football game, you have a pretty clear sense that like unless it goes into overtime, it's about three hours, right? A basketball game, kind mm-hmm. of about the same. Like baseball, the range being like three hours to four and a half hours over the course of the last like decade, especially like it makes people more hesitant to tune into a baseball game and, uh, you know, emotionally invest. Like there was the video that I think pitching pitching ninja tweeted out a couple days ago that went viral about, you know, one Pedro stroke pitch in the playoffs from a couple of years ago, taking the time of an entire bat in spring training like that. All that stuff makes an enormous difference. And, you know, it, maybe it cuts down the amount of like, time to drink a beer at the ballpark but if you're just sitting at home and you want to watch like just be entertained for an evening like a game ending in under three hours regularly like that is just so much less of an emotional commitment if you're just committing from seven o'clock to nine thirty uh at worst ten o'clock to a baseball game like that makes it so much easier to want to watch a baseball game and there's just less time to like look down on your phone and get distracted because like the pace of the pitching mm-hmm. is just like it's pitch after pitch after pitch. And like, maybe there's not as much time to think through like pitch by pitch strategy, but I think our brains are eventually going to catch up to the pacing of it. And then the net product is going to be a much better viewing experience where there's just less da- downtime and the same amount of action. That's really interesting, man. I was, I haven't watched a, a full spring training game yet, but I think the, one of the things that I was thinking about uh, that is to be fair, very niche and very specialized for nerds like me is that um, kind of thinking along with the pitcher and the defense, uh, what they're going to do, how they're attacking between pitches. So like, how are they setting up, especially for the best guys, um, starters, Verlander, um, Zach Greinke, those guys who really would set up batters. And then when they would be facing guys who would try to set up pitchers. Um, I know that's a hard thing to really estimate, especially at this point, but is there, if, if, do you feel like there's anything that the game might lose uh, like that or anything else that would be part of the viewing experience uh, that won't be or that will be minimized because of a pitch clock? I mean, I, I just think that from the pitchers that I've talked to, everyone is obviously constantly thinking about the game on the mound, the mental battle, the pitch strategy, the location, all that stuff. I just think that like the decisiveness in which that pitchers are going to make uh, choices on whatever pitch they're going to throw in certain counts is just going to get faster. I think that decision making, they're just going to be much more decisive now because they have to be. And so I think that that battle still exists. I think it's probably going to take some time for like everyone's brains to recalibrate in terms of the pacing, but that battle still exists, even though that there is like kind of a condensed amount of time for those decisions to be made. Um, I do think it's going to take some time to get used to it, but um the feedback that I hear from everyone around baseball, like executives, players, like people who are at spring training games for the most part has been pretty overwhelmingly positive. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's, yeah, that's the way I see it. And a lot of people just kind of don't even give it a shot. They're like, it's like one game in and that's they're baseball already, fans, yeah, though. exactly. Right. Right. It's like one game in it's like, yeah. And, and yeah. So uh, I love, I'd love to see, you know, that's, that it's getting a lot of positives in there. And, and uh, so uh, kind of moving on to the Chicago uh, based stuff, since we're a Chicago based podcast, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, there's always stuff to talk about here when it comes to the Cubs and White Sox, but especially this year, you know, on the North side of Chicago, there's some hope there. You got some, you know, they added some pieces like Swanson, Tyone, Mantini, Bellinger. 
Um, and then on the south side, you know, they have a team that could easily make it back to the playoffs because they have all the talent in the world. So kind of what's what's what are your thoughts on on Chicago baseball as a whole? Uh, I think that the Cubs are in an interesting place in terms of rebuilding back towards something because they kind of have been like treading water for a couple of years. Mm. Um, I think that they, they're building a clubhouse culture between guys like Swanson and Tyone. Like those are two guys who are extremely well liked among teammates in baseball mm. and i think that building that kind of like leadership foundation is incredibly important especially for a young team that's trying to build towards something i think with the white Sox, they kind of are in the best position to exceed expectations in a couple of years now because i think that they've disappointed a lot of people and not exceeding kind of the they've been less than the sum of their parts um i still think this is one of the most talented teams in the sport like you can't count out like Luis Robert taking like another big jump. Like Yo Mankata is still very talented. Like there's a bunch of guys who can still make big jumps there. Um, and I do think that like Tony La Russa, you know, obviously has a lot of health issues, but from the conversations I have with folks around baseball, like there is a level of people thinking that his kind of old school style in terms of managing was holding back this group of guys from really maximizing their potential on the field. And so I'm really excited to see for that group. Um, uh, a clubhouse that um, has a, a change of leadership in there and then just less pressure to uh, immediately be like a World Series contender. I think that those two things have the potential to be extremely dangerous for uh, just generally success. But that division as a whole is kind of a crapshoot too. <laughs> That's the hail central for you. <laughs> no, yeah. It's like so from, from the almost every single – that division – like the White Sox won the World Series and it was like everybody in the division said, okay, we need to get way better with the with the division, just the AL Central in general. It's hard to, it, it's always the division that's really low on the, either in terms of talent or achievement, always somebody seems to be rebuilding. And I think, uh, June, like we talked about off air, it's, the optimism usually comes from outside and that proximity breeds more distrust of what could happen with your team <laughs> yeah, I so like I know, I know there's a lot of people are optimistic about the white Sox this year that aren't me <laughs> but i think if you have to pick one or two things for Sox fans to really hang their hats on and, and you know what for cubs fans too what are the things that they can say okay this will be successful this will be successful this season these two things happen i mean i think that like it's still the 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 all the young talent that this team has between like Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez and Yoel Moncada and uh you know just like there's a bunch of young players there that most teams would just kill to have on their roster even if they haven't been the healthiest uh like you add in Dylan Cease now too like that's not even necessarily a dude that everyone expected to be competing for a Cy Young like this early in his career or even ever reach this level mm -hmm. and like you also have a guy like Lucas Giolito, who just like a couple of years ago looked like one of the best pitchers in baseball. And so there's all these guys that are extremely talented on this group that have either dealt with injuries or are very up and down. And like if, and this is a very big if, if everything hits, if everyone stays healthy, if everyone is consistent, if everyone maximizes their potential, which is three very big guys. Um, and so I don't know. I think that like when you look at that and like I think that for a lot of people around baseball, the leadership with Tony La Russa and just the managing style and 
uh, just the decisions that he made in games, like all of that stuff. A lot of people think that played a big role in shaping the results of this team over the course of the last couple of years and not maximizing the talent. I think that with Pedro Grifol, like you have all of that, like it can make a huge difference in changing the trajectory of a team. Yeah, no, that that's that's what I was thinking too, especially with the White Sox, is that you know a, a new manager is going to make a big difference, especially a guy like Pedro Grifol who has had such a great track record. I mean, Benintendi likes you know liked him so much when he was in Kansas City, so that's that. Hopefully, that's something that kind of helps him turn it around. Uh, but we got one more question for you, June, before we let you go here. Uh, you know, obviously the World Baseball Classic is underway. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, the ninth. Uh, you know, it kind of tell us what great storylines you're looking forward to as well as some that maybe some people aren't thinking about. I know some of the games that we've already had, I, I know I saw you, you're keeping track with the, with this uh, Korea game uh, last night. I saw you on, on Twitter. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a rough, but uh, <laughs> kind, of, kind of what have you thought about it so far and like some of the things that you're looking forward to as well. I think we're hitting the second era of the WBC in that we're having American players care about it more. And that's mm. a huge thing in terms of growing Major League Baseball internationally. I just wrote a story about this that came out yesterday, actually, about how, um, as I alluded to earlier, like MLB kind of views the biggest growth potential for the league, not with Gen Z and younger fans. Like, I'm definitely kind of in that category and one of the exceptions to the rule. But, like, with the audience that they can develop in Korea and the UK and Mexico and uh, even India, like, all these countries that are even cricket-friendly that they want to kind of get invested in and playing baseball. And I think that... You know, just between like, I'm curious to see like if we with more countries in it now, like Czech Republic is playing in it this year. Mm -hmm. Like we're seeing more countries that aren't necessarily associated with baseball playing in the WBC this year. I'm curious to see how if we get like a Cinderella team, like just a team coming out of nowhere, like not I don't think the Czech Republic is going to be that team. But the fact mm -hmm. that that dude that that team is a bunch of dudes who are like firefighters mm -hmm. and insurance salesmen, <laughs> like yeah. just amateur guys who are like playing for the Czech Republic and have all these other day jobs playing against like Shoei Otani. Like that's hilarious yeah. to me. But like it, it, I think that like growing the sport is going to require like engagement that way. And the fact that like Mike Trout is playing in the WBC this year. Mookie Betts is playing in the WBC this year. Um, the pitching from the American side still falls short for the most part. But when you have these like top tier superstars, these really famous dudes who are getting ex exposed to an international audience, um, I think that is an enormously big deal for baseball. And so I'm curious to see, you know, the, the ratings for the WBC are big everywhere except for the United States, like <laughs> like two thirds of Puerto Rico as a country was watching that final at, uh, you know, the last time around, like half of Japan caught one of the first three rounds of games for the WBC um, pretty much throughout the course of their history. Like this, this event is, is, is a major TV um, because we have kind of these more famous guys to the casual baseball fan playing it this year. If it picks up in the U S and if there's more excitement around it, because the U S won last time and uh, just generally like seeing if we see any of these smaller like baseball countries that haven't had this big history take a step forward in a way that's similar to like Croatia at the world cup. Like that's what I'm really excited to see this year. Yeah, no. And, and, and yes, yeah, just seeing like, for example, like Otani playing, you know, in, in the WBC and just like the focus that was on there and just the way Japan is like, it almost gave me like, like you can't compare the sports necessarily yet. And I hope maybe uh, one day in the future in the way down in the future, uh, you can, but like, it was almost like watching Ronaldo at the world cup, the way people like see him and like kind of almost like in awe. Right. And it's kind of, 
pretty awesome to see that in, in baseball in some way, in some manner. Um, but yeah, no, I really think this is the beginning of like something, you know, way different from WBC because watching it, a lot of people didn't know much about it. Like, you know, when you're talking about like 2013 and I'll be like talking about this, but now more people know it. And, uh, so that's, that's pretty cool. But, uh, June, that's, you know, it's a great place to wrap things up. Really appreciate you coming on. Um, and, uh, hopefully we can have you on, you know, later on in the season, uh, sometime soon, man. Thank you. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right. So that's our interview with ESPN's June Lee. That was a great time. I think, you know, talking all things, you know, Boston, uh, I know we both, Chris, you know, we, we kind of alluded to it there. We envy, you know, that, you know, whole championship era in Boston and, and all that. I mean, it must be nice, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we got to talking too about, you know, world baseball classic and all that as well. And, and I guess, I mean, did, did he boost your hopes for the White Sox at least? Or maybe did he end in a little more? Oh, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I'm, I don't think my White Sox hopes to get boosted uh, until maybe midsummer. And I'm going through my own thing with trying to stand on my, on my words about Mike Clevenger. So yeah, it's, I yeah. hope, I mean, I legitimately hope the White Sox are good. I do think it's funny that from outside of the White Sox, everybody's just still looking at the talent and like, yeah, man, this thing can be good. It's like, can this plant grow? amidst all of this um like the the swing set is on fire and the and <laughs> like i want everybody to just know what it's like to be a white socks fan <laughs> it's not about the talent but i'm I'm glad that he hopes that 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 they'll be decent because i can at least hold on to that yeah yeah you're right and that's the thing if that's what i like I like uh, asking these reporters you know from especially from out of the state to to kind of get the give their uh, two cents on it because yeah, it is way different when you look at it from the outside looking in. But as a as a Sox fan, um, I mean, I, I can see it. I can see you going through it for sure every time we come on here to talk White Sox. And uh, yeah, but it's it, it was definitely a great conversation, and uh, we were able to delve into you know Otani and, and the World Baseball Classic as well. So, uh, and speaking of that, you know, it's, it's off to a great start. The World Baseball Classic is so hopefully everyone tunes in. I know they have it on Fox Sports, Fox Sports Two, Tubi as well. They have the games everywhere. So hopefully everyone uh, tunes into that. And uh, me and Chris will be back next week. So we appreciate everyone you uh, watching. Uh, again, tune into the, op- the Open Run podcast as well with Gabe Wilkins and uh, Joshua Hicks. Uh, they talk, you know, they delve in a lot into uh, the Red Hot Knicks, Kevin Durant, you know, the Suns, um, and as well to uh, uh, Chris Pennant's uh, Skyhook podcast with James K, uh, where they break down more of the sky before the season begins. So, uh, you know, everyone uh, take it easy and enjoy some of that World Baseball Classic. I know the U.S. and Mexico game is sold out. So enjoy that on Sunday.